Welcome to the latest episode of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. Meg LaRue, our podcast co-host and group editorial director of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care Magazines, can't be with us today. Uh, but I'm Evan Friedman, Vice President of Scientific Cell Company, and today's host here at the Noid Knowledge Podcast. This month, we are excited to be joined by Dr. John McKay. Dr. McKay earned a BA in chemistry from St. Lawrence University and his PhD from the University of Vermont in synthetic inorganic chemistry. After positions teaching at Davidson College, Linden State College, and the University of Vermont, John joined Waters Corporation in 1983. Dr. McKay founded Synergistic Technology Associates that has helped many of the major brands optimize their extraction process operations based on Six Sigma principles. With the expertise and desire to spread the science throughout the industry, John also took on roles as a contributing journalist and science editor for Terpenes and Testing magazine and was the editor of the first issues of Extraction magazine. He has also been appointed the Educator Assistant Professor on the Volunteer Pathway, Department of Pharmacology at the Robert Lerner MD College of Medicines. Today, we'll be focusing on all things formulation and processing with Dr. McKay to learn more about what's really going on in the cannabis industry and perhaps where it should be heading in the future. Let's jump right in and expand our Noid knowledge. Hey, John, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. It's always fun. And uh, for us, it's always an entertaining conversation. I'm sure that we'll go off the rails a couple of times and I'm sure we'll head down some bunny holes, but we'll come back up and I, it'll be of value somewhere. I think that's where the meat is anyway. <laughs> uh, it is. The meat is in the bunny hole. That's right. <laughs> so we like to start our episodes with some background and context for the listeners. You know, uh, your origin story. Is there anything people get wrong about your backstory that you'd like to correct? Uh, I, I read the whole intro, but uh, but what what more would you like to to tell the world? I think some of the things that that I get caught up with um, more recently with um, contemporaries is that I have a um, bias towards. Uh, CO2 as a, as a solvent. And that's probably the, the biggest thing that's, that's a misconception because um, as you and I have talked many, many times, there is no bias as far as the, the solvent that you're using for an extraction. There is no bias as far as vendor capability for analytical testing. There, it's only about what that person is trying to do and what they're trying to make and having all of the different solvents available if you're doing extraction and all different modes of analytical testing, depending on what you're trying to trying to look for. And I think that that's one. I think the second one is, is that people probably look at how did you get a BA in chemistry? So I don't have a BS in chemistry, though I do have a lot of BS, but I, <laughs> but I don't have... A, so the BA is because... I refused to take a German and you had to have German in order to, to get a, a BS in chemistry. And um, so that, that, that's probably the biggest one I have. You couldn't read that fundamental research, unfortunately. Yeah, I couldn't read that at the time. There wasn't, there wasn't as many computers and stuff. So using the slide rule and heading over to uh, Agnavant Chemie was not my, was not my strong suit. <laughs> nope. 
I had to is to for the PhD back in those days, we had to know three languages and had to pass a language test. So I had to, I did have to learn German to get my PhD and I did have to relearn French to get my PhD. And some would say maybe English isn't my native tongue. So, but I had the, the three languages. <laughs> American English. American English. <laughs> okay. So let, let's start out with the basics of formulation and processing. You, you sort of touched on it already, right? Uh, we've got different solvents. We've got different goals for, for, I guess, intermediary products or final products, um, right? Uh, if I, I'm assuming you're formulating an edible product differently than a vape cartridge, maybe, or, or something like that. How, 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 what's step one? What, what are the mistakes people are making? Well, I don't know if they're mistakes or not, but it is a fundamental part of, of what, what are you trying to make and the ingredients that you need to make that product. So whether it's a tincture, a gummy bear, or whether you're doing, you know, other types of a soap or um, a, uh, an, a and, and the form that it's taking in. You don't have to walk far down any of the big box stores and go, just go down the toothpaste aisle, for goodness sakes. You go down the toothpaste aisle and it's a, it's a mile and a half of different ways that it's in there. It could be a powder. It could be, you know, it could be in a tube. It couldn't be, it has fluoride. It doesn't have fluoride. It has left. It has rice. It's for children. It's, it, it, you have it, you have bubble gum for children. You, there's a lot, you have a, you have vibrating toothbrushes. You have regular toothbrushes. You got different floss for goodness sakes, everything that, and that's just for your teeth. And once you've made that decision, you got to go through it. The second aisle that, that I bring people through for the formulation, and that is, is cakes and coffee. So if I'm making an angel food cake, the key to an angel food cake is that you don't have any of the egg yolks in it. There are no egg yolks in an angel food cake. And you have to have a specific way that you make that with the ingredients. Remembering that eggs are the, the starting point. The second one is if I'm making a yellow cake or a chocolate cake, Let's just stick with the yellow cake. I'm using the egg yolks and I'm not using the egg whites. So it's still an egg. It's just that I'm choosing the part of the egg that I'm using for that formulation. So when I look at those processes, it's, it's really no different from any other um, plant that's out there. But because we're focused on the cannabis at this point in time, it's how am I, what components am I wanting? Well, well I... I, I mean, isn't it a little bit different? Isn't an egg basically protein and fats and a cannabis plant has hundreds of compounds of, of interest? Eggs have hundreds of compounds of, of uh, interest to it, just so that it's not that interesting to you. And so, <laughs> fair. Have, that's fair. Or, or, to the, egg, or to the baker at that point. Or to the baker. And so when, when you're looking at that, you're still having to look at the number of components. So we, we hear the broad term of terpenes. We hear the broad term of cannabinoids. We hear the broad term of flavonoids. We hear those broad 
you know, base terms, but under each one of those is hundreds of compounds. So you're right on the fact that in what we're doing for this plant and how it's making the medicine and where it goes into the body and how it goes into the body, bioavailability, bioactivity, and of what you're really needing. So you're not trying to have a, a you know, a something that you're going to eat, maybe having a, a taste of a terpene or some people not wanting the taste of a chlorophyll and other people are having products that do have those. And so if I'm looking at that, you're, you're right. If, if I'm using something that has a huge variance and, um, and can take out as many components as possible, like for example, ethanol and the other ones where I'm saying, I don't, I don't want to have any solvents touching it. And so now you have more of a, a selective separation of hash, for example, those are two very different, different sides of the spectrum and then everything in between. So you really have to start with what you want to make at the end to know how, how to select material and then what process to take it through. Even before that, even as you bring that up, because I always think the same, I always say the same thing that you just articulated. And yet it's, it is one more step forward. And that is, what is the, what is the result that you want to have on the human or body? It, it really does go to that step, doesn't it? But now you're adding in the other uh, limitless variable machine. Right, right. We we went from you know an n versus f fixed number to an n versus p problem now, aren't aren't we? <laughs> you are, and and how you get it into the body. So there's a number of different ways that you know, as you and I have talked, it's it's you've got people doing emulsification, you have people doing microdosing, you have people doing. Um, you know, a, a way that it goes through the skin, another one, that, a way that goes under the tongue, another one that, that you put on a strip that dissolves in your mouth. You have all of those different modes of how to get it into the body. But it's still, as you rightly, as we just talked about, what do you want it to do when it gets into the body? Because that's where it really starts, isn't it? And then you go back to how do I want to get it into the body? I mean, rolling around in cannabis is not going to be the top way to get. It. <laughs> it's just not going to work. I mean, you can roll around in that plant all day long. I mean, could could you go out into the field and roll around in like the growing plants? That might work. It won't because if you and I have also, when you touch the plant and it has those little tiny needles on it, you're going to be itching for a oh, while. Oh man! Oh, that contact dermatitis is is brutal. It's brutal and it's not going away soon. And the only way to get rid of it typically is what I've heard is a CBD uh, lotion. So there you go. <laughs> I, I guess like dissolves like that makes sense. <laughs> so, okay. So let's, let, let's take a step away from this very difficult problem that we're not going to solve here in, in, in this discussion. Um, and take a look at like somebody has decided to make a product now. They are assuming what the biological endpoint, the the consumer endpoint is going to be. Yes. Are they thinking about individual components going in? 
to the product, uh, starting from individual isolates? Are they, right, they've got a formula, but are they, uh, does it make more sense to extract the whole thing from plant material that might be variable or like try to reconstruct it from individual constituent components? And, you know, can that go wrong? <laughs> That's an interesting point. So it, so you bring up two interesting points. One is they, and, yeah, and they a, would be the company. So that's a good one. And so now you might have someone who's who's seen the market and sees what people are buying. Yeah. Um, whether it's synthesized or unsynthesized, we'll stay on on the unsynthesized at this point. And if I if I look at that, they've now got to have they they've now got to have a geek. They got to have one of us. I mean, they 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 need to have the geek. And the geek is saying, you know, what do I have to do? Because the guy who's, you know, knows the numbers is not typically the guy who knows the science. And so now you're going back through and you're saying, I want to have this reaction and we'll take that out off the plane. We know what that's going to be. And now I'm going back through and I'm saying, what are the components that I have seen that provide me that, <clears throat> that, um, that metabolism, that conclusion. And then from there, they're now making a choice. If you make a choice, like you make a choice from ivory soap, or you make a choice from from natural products and um, from things like uh, soaps and lotions, then you you take the individual components and you mix them up at a certain ratio that's reproducible, content uniformity. You you take care of all those things, and now you've made a product. Compared to your um, a, a farm stand. And a farm stand on that side is going to be selling the product, but it's not going to be going through a lot of content uniformity. But it knows that it's going to, to want to have a reproducible product. And the plant is so variable, it's more difficult for the plant to do that. So they might have to add a little bit of CBD if it's a little low. They wanted it to be 9% by volume, and it's only 8 so they have to add a little bit. So now you have that. And have we walked over the line with a, a Frankenstein, or are we walking on the line of content uniformity and having the same product over and over again where you're adding a little bit? And uh, on your side, what do you think? I, I mean, you know, my, my background is in process monitoring for the pharmaceutical industry so like when it comes down to content uniformity yeah right like i i i i believe in single molecule manufacturing processes right so there's the there's a lot of that bias in in what i think but my preference as a consumer uh completely betrays that that professional bias because the the concentrate products i like the best even even the edible products i like the best are rosin products essentially the best representation of the plant in a concentrated form so i it's i i i don't know quite what what the answer sort of over there is and then, and then, I mean, like we can devolve into the semi-synthetic or fully synthetic side of things, and and there, my pharmaceutical biases will rear their head, and it's just like 
if you can't make these chemicals and GMP processes and and do compliant QAQC, then you they should be made or sold. <laughs> so, and that's at a at a at a at a large distribution process. That's a bias towards a a, a multi state or someone with with bottling as far as as far as you can see and or a you know coca-cola or a pepsi or any other beverage that's you know spinning itself around that that they're all over the place and 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 of course a chemist there that understands that if your active has uh similar solubility to the bottle you're putting it in than the liquid you're putting it in that's a problem that's a problem (laughs) it gets even more confusing but if you're sitting on the ethnobotany or if you're sitting on pharmacognosy and both of those are focused towards the medical uses of a natural product and it's raw is form that's a different consumer and that's a different market segment so now you have the united states you actually have the world but well i'm I, I live in the United States. And so the United States um, versus Canada. Canada um, regulates before they litigate. And in the United States, we litigate and then we make up some regulations. And then we relitigate. And, and then we relitigate. And so if you go through that process, you have someone who really wants a natural product like yourself for a means. And, it, and it's as close to the potentially pharmaceutically active ingredients that you're wanting. And so there's a difference between different varieties of the cannabis. Yeah. Right? And so you, you have all these great names, but the great <laughs> names are still um, demonstrate that there's a difference in the concentration of different components of that cannabis plant. I've got green apples, I've got red apples, I've got Macintosh, I have all these other apples and I use them for different things. One I use for apple juice, one I use for applesauce, one I use for apple pie, one I just eat. And so one of those parts now becomes the consumer you just mentioned. Okay. And that is the, the, um, I won't call it a purist, but it is someone who's looking for that product. Is that product easily mass produced? No. 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 And we love to see that because they're saying, oh, we'll have, you know, 50 acres of of a certain variety. And there's not a chance that that's (laughs) happening. Show me two plants that are the same. And I and I'll show you a a gene line that is going to deteriorate over the next several generations. F one is F one is not going to is not going to remain. We can look at that with the grass. We can look at it at flowers. We can look at it at apples. We can these there are there are insects that go out and and uh, bees, for example, and they pollinate in all these different flowers and such. And there's not a bee with a little checklist going. <laughs> oh, I better just go. Oh, that one's not exactly right. <laughs> it's it's flower shopping. It's pollen shop. It's not doing that. 
it's not doing that. Oh, that's really yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, it's because it's it's even more random, right? Cannabis isn't even pollinated by bees. Cannabis is pollinated on the wind. So like, yes. more chaos. More chaos. And 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 to circle around to the N versus P problem uh, again. Um, it, the cannabis genome is seven times more diverse than the human genome. So like this, there's a, there's a lot of, of potential that, that is untapped as we stare at uh, making the THC number as high as possible. <laughs> so when I go back through and, and you bring up a good point, that is the variance within the genetic itself. And then the fact that you had the wind blowing back and forth and that's, the, the the wind has even less discriminating characteristics than than a bee, and so I don't know if you know that or not. But <laughs> just, you go back through and it, and the, and then at the same time, you're asking yourself, how do I make a tincture that's the same? So a tincture will take the statistically valid sampling, and so you're hoping from whatever number of plants you have that you're getting closer to a a number that is an average. You're you're hoping for that. And you're hoping that a process that you're going to use will provide you that. And if you have, for example, and you say, I'm, I'm just using this as a hypothetical example, you want to use ethanol for whatever for whatever um, extraction you have. And you you view fresh ethanol the first time. And then as processes go and you you reuse that ethanol because you reclaim it. And as you reclaim that ethanol, it changes a little bit because you're never going to have it 100% pure. It's never going to be like the first time. And so now you have a variance in your solvent, which will give you a variance in what you're extracting. And so now you have that process. You have to have, as you say, process control, P-A-T. And so you're looking at process control of a... Of, of an extraction method. So even if you have an SOP that's perfect, because you're going to do the same thing every time, that doesn't mean that the human is the same time, the solvent isn't the same time, and a process is different from the ingredients. I, I mean, you, right? The, you've got this variable natural product as your input material. Yeah. Uh, you uh, Let's say that, you know cost of operations is no thing and you're starting with fresh ethanol every time which is obviously not a thing (laughs) (laughs) but like even if you could control that variable because theoretically you could you can't control the variable of the plant so you cannot you cannot so i i mean there's there's gotta be an adjustment to public perception because I feel like the lab testing gives this perception that, well, it's been to a lab. It's got a label. It's exactly the same. Every time my Cheerios say a serving is a hundred calories and it's 72 Cheerios. That's, exactly the same every time but i mean you look at those cheerios they're not exactly the same every time like there's got to be variants in that label too huh 
and how it cooks and where it was in the on the pan. So if I if I take that and I look at my um, M&Ms, I love the M&Ms as an analogy. So you get a box of M&Ms, not the small packet because that's probably a little closer. But if you get a box of M&Ms, and I have counted these countless numbers of times, and I and I get a box, and every box I have seen meets the minimum criteria of what the weight is supposed to be. But usually it's between two and four M&Ms higher than what the weight is. And and it really is between two and four yeah. M&Ms. Yeah, right. And because I don't that's it, the margin in their SOP. And you look at the red M&Ms versus the blue M&Ms. And so I have done experiments where I, I take the blue M&Ms and I count all the blue M&Ms and there's a different number. Because when I'm tasting an M&M, I, I can tell the difference between the blue M&Ms and the red M&Ms. Oh, can you? Of, well, of course. I think everybody can with, with a, that type of palate training. <laughs> no, of course I can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I can go back through and I can see what's part of those M&Ms. And I can see, based on that, that there's a variance. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't mean to break your heart on, on, a, on a day today, but... Green is not a primary number, uh, color. Oh, <laughs> I, it's also you know not what? a primary you, you are speaking to uh, an optics and photonics guy, so you are not you breaking my heart. <laughs> okay. So, so when I look at that, now let's bring that to my back to my cannabis. And I, and I go through, I've got a variance in my supply chain. I have a variance in my uh, process. I have a variance in what can happen for the temperature. So let's we go back to ethanol. Let's say that I'm doing minus 40 degrees ethanol. And I don't have a process in place that will allow me to hold to that minus 40 because that's really expensive. And so what happens is with every minute, the average degree is one, one degree C per minute. So if I don't have... A change where I'm at minus 40, I've gone minus 40, I'm taking 10 minutes, I've now raised myself to 10 degrees C. So my first part of my extraction and my last part of extraction, even on a 10-minute extraction, it's different. Yes. I I mean, it's 25% different. (laughs) It's a lot different. It's a lot different. Um, Yeah. I see. And... The variables you can control, you got to make a, a cost-benefit analysis of which variables to control, I suppose. Um, but uh, no, knowing what's going in from the beginning is is a good one. And so you you brought up PAT. This is this is a, a topic close to my heart and process analytical technology and the. Uh, partner acronym for it uh is qbd or quality by design which is right you know actually sitting down and designing your process with all these factors in mind be before you start buying things and building things and running things right like maybe and expanding and improving the process all along right because that's the name of the game and and you as a six sigma guy uh you're black belt no i'm i'm a a green belt okay 
you you just need another big project, right? <laughs> need, need a project is what over five hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, the rules are are a little interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you it, it's start back from there. Right? Continuous improvement. So you have, and even before you get quality by design, you've got design of experiment. Are you designing the experiment to be able to look at the factors that are the variables that um that provide a difference? So. There was a good study, um, I'm going to remember his name before the interview is over, and that is um, out of Connecticut. And uh, he looked at a 36 by 36 factorial on a CO2 extraction. There's a lot of things that you, there's flow rate, there's this, there's that, the tubing size and, and et cetera. And then from there, he was able to take that factorial and find the ones that really contributed to a difference, a measurable and I call it a significant difference because it's measurable, but a significant difference that there were only three things that really mattered the most. And so now you take that 36 by 36 matrix and then you bring it down to a three by three. And now you have an ability of looking at graphs that show you where your maxima and minima are on a three-dimensional graph. And that allows you now to say, based on, um, individual uh, analytical choices. Is this a variable that gives me an idea about where my process is? Because you don't want to be measuring so many things. You want to measure something that is your guiding light. And, and something that you can impact by changing set points on your controls. So for example, if I'm looking at, I know you don't know anything about near IR, but in case you did. <laughs> and, and so for the audience, <laughs> For the audience, he's a near IR guy. And I, so I'm, I'm I, an optical spectroscopy guy. You're an optical. So third order near IR is, is plenty enough for you to be able to know what your moisture is as things are flying by up in on a food tray, whether it's you're making peanuts or peanut butter or grapes or you're doing anything, you, you have that process control. And right now what we don't have is is so much in that in process control in the cannabis industry besides you would have to have an enormous amount of material to to be able to have that as a you know viable product to do monitoring. Um, you know, yes and no. I it, it depends on what you want to do, I suppose, right? Like if the flower is flying by on a conveyor belt through a temperature controlled room to dry it out or something like that. You could pick a point where you could point, uh, a, not even like a near IR sensor, just like a single near IR photodiode calibrated to the wavelength of water and just kind of look at the moisture. Um, I know a company, they sell thousands of these. They're looking at the moisture of the application of glue on envelopes, I believe. So, so it's something totally mundane. Uh, and it's like thousands and thousands of sensors because they make lots of envelopes because we all get useless mail that <laughs> that we don't want. If you're the person licking that envelope, it matters to you. Yeah, sure. George Costanza's wife. There you go. She died. Susan. 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 So as far as the audience, I, I kind of baited him because yeah, I know that's what he likes to do. And so I just threw some, uh, I threw a worm Appreciate in the water and see if he would 
go for it or not. So when you're going back through in the process, so what is the best extraction? I'm always asked, what's the best extraction? And I and I've broken it out into B, E, S, and T. So best extraction is holding the botanical ingredients in their natural form. If you want to do something afterwards to it, that's fine. But if you're wanting to really get the ingredients in their raws form, start there and then decide what you're going to do afterwards. E is for efficacy. First of all, it's efficacy, then it's efficiency, it's um, economics so that you stay in business, but efficacy is first. And S is for safety and safety within the entire process. So I thought in the original days when I came up with safety, I thought, you know, safety of, of the consumer. And then I watched people spraying on pesticides. I watched people touching it with their hands. And as you and I say, getting, you know, getting the itching and, 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 uh, and from their infection. And then T is testing with modern technology. And I, and I really do feel that the modern technology at an appropriate level for what you're trying to do is, is important. I mean, you don't, not everyone needs a, you know, soupy doopy, you know, high resolution mass spectrometer to be, to be measuring stuff. If you're looking for something like water and you have a wavelength that will give you that, that's the appropriate testing with modern technology. That's the end of my BEST. That, I, I, I love it. And of course, technology is, is where I'm going to focus. But, but the, the safety point is still really important because, uh, yeah, spraying on pesticides, the, the contact stuff. I, I read the other day that uh, an employee at a truly facility in Massachusetts died in January, like exposed, overexposed to like Keith in the pre-roll filling station. Like, and I was like, how does that kill you? And there's like a dozen different ways that can kill you, actually, from fungal infection to uh, clogging up the bronchioles. There's all sorts of ways that can kill you. Uh, and safety is important um, because we're... You, know, you, have, you have black lung disease. Mm -hmm. You have white lung disease. White lung is from the silica. You, you don't see it in the air. And, um, and so you have all those different things that because they're not visible, doesn't mean they don't go into our body, into our alveoli and, um, and then bad things happen. Yeah. And so we have this huge epidural layer and that's our biggest organ. Our biggest organ is the, the skin, epidural, layer. right? And, but when we use our nose and mouth, we're there's a reason that there's a reason that you have to have a big mask. If I'm if I'm doing something, I'm I'm putting on a big mask, and people will say, you know, I don't see anything out here. I'm going just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's it's not there. It's 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 not within our our visible range. For sure. So that's part of the safety. Yep. And, and then on the other side, when you're concentrating things you're not just concentrating what you want. It sounds wonderful. It's always great. I'm going to be concentrating CBDA. I say, okay, you are. 
and then you got 40% of your first go on the, on the concentrate. And this is, see, I've concentrated. I says, well, what's the other 60%? Please tell me, please. And, and that's the question that not everyone's asking. Yeah. But you and I have been trained as scientists to. Well, I get when right. When you, when, when you see 40%, everybody should be thinking that's not even half. <laughs> what is the other half? <laughs> Right, like, yeah, right, could it be I'm, dangerous? Right, I, I'm curious when I see an extract and it's like 87, percent and it's like that's that's 13. Okay, some of that's terpenes, but it's not 13 percent terpenes. So, like, what's left? <laughs> and you're telling me this is distillate, or like, I or you see a C of A for isolate and it's 98 percent something is like that's not isolate. <laughs> Not. So when you can get, and then you're trying to get to something even within the process of helping people. If I can get my CBD a concentration over 80%, then I know that I can crystallize it. I know I can, I know I can crash it out and I can wash that and get to 99.99 because I've, I've washed it out. There might be something into my inter, depending on how slowly I grow that crystal, I could have other stuff that's, if I grow it too fast, it's going to have stuff in between. Yeah. Even like ice. Ice is a good example. So if you have ice that has been slowly crystallized, you can see through it like glass. Oh, for sure. So uh, one of our factories in Germany makes calcium fluoride crystal. And, and, the most pure calcium fluoride crystal in the world for optical purposes. It goes into night vision goggle lenses and, and you know, all, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's got very interesting optical properties. But it's produced by slowly moving the heat along the vertical axis of a pool of ultra pure calcium dissolved in in hydrofluoric acid and like you it takes 6 months to grow the crystal and then they take it out and obviously we want single crystals and and it gets inspected and in the absolute best case it goes back in for like another 3 months to like reanneal it and and purge the impurities out and we're talking about this is 6n purity material so that is 99.99999% pure <laughs> and they still have to stick it in there for like another month to to get impurities out and we're looking at the economic case of like i want to sell the cbd isolate yesterday <laughs> yes and so that's so the other part that's amusing on that, because you're an optical guy, and that is you're only measuring what you are looking for. Mm. So if I'm if I'm also looking at a dynamic light scattering, or if I'm looking at evaporative light scattering, I'm looking at on a GC. If I'm if I'm looking at FID, some flame ionization versus mass spectrometry, I'm only going to be able to find what I can detect. Yeah. And if I have, if I'm only looking for things that have um, that great big fennel ring sitting out there and looking at 228 or 263 or 313, 
nanometers, I'm only going to see those things. And so even when I'm talking about process control and I talk about inline, I like to look at, I, I typically like to look at, well, just because of me, but I like to look at 200. I look at 228. I like to look at uh, 263 and, and 313 when I'm just running through a process. And if I have more wavelengths, I like to look out towards the, uh, towards the color spectrum. And so, and the reason I do that is because 200 acts like a refractometer. Everything yeah. that's going by, it changes. Yes. 228 and, and 263, I'm looking at the different cannabinoids because they have different wavelengths where they absorb. And then I look at 313 because that is typically where my, my carboxylic acid will grow. So I can see a peak uh, on a chromatogram. I can see that something has come out and I've detected it at, at 228. And if I also see a, a um, absorbance at 313, I know that I have a carboxylated cannabinoid. And if I see only 228 and no 313, I know I have a decarboxylated cannabinoid. So it gives me an indication as I'm running through, where am I on my process? And even if I don't know what that what that amino acid, what that <laughs> cannabinoid is, I have an idea whether it's carboxylated or yeah, not. Right? You know if it's too hot in there. <laughs> yes, you do. And that's now so now you look at the difference between data and information and usable information, how you use it. Just because you have data doesn't mean it's it's usable. You really want to be able to use it in a meaningful manner it has to have meaning yeah you got to derive insight from it so so i go back to my best on extraction i have no i have no bias based on the solvent i have a bias based on 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 companies that may have a bias based on a single solvent that they're using or a company that is selling a individual solvent <laughs> system and therefore it is the only way if i if i have a hammer and i'm a hammer i'm a manufacturer of a hammer i'm going to say this is this one i you you're so right uh although i will give it to the co2 guys they have been looking at all these co-solvents they're like well maybe i can use the hammer and the chisel at the same time <laughs> So I did, I did some of that early work in two, 2014 and I could change not only the, what I was taking off. So I could take off the, the monoterpenes and I could take off the diter I could take off the sesquiterpenes and the diterpenes and I could take off the cannabinoids one at a time and, and know what they were because they had a different, um, a solubility. However, is that viable in the industry? No, it's not viable in the industry. Just because I could do it doesn't mean that I should, that someone should do it economically. Well, so here's my question. Is the economic bottleneck the investment in the operator? Can it be automated? Can you use sufficient sensors or data points out of the the process to control how the process gets run? Well, a loaded question. Thank you very much to the worm. I am the fish this time. <laughs> and so 
<laughs> yes. And the and the and the answer is yes because it's it's being used in all the other industries. <laughs> and just because it I hasn't been that. Used, you know, somewhere around you know 2014, someone just this you know discovered short path distillation, <laughs> and they thought that they had invented it for the cannabis industry. And the same thing is happening here. I mean, the hops industry, which is so close to the cannabis industry based on its plant. They have inline controls. They know when to turn up the do. pressure, what to do. They know how to, to formulate it into pellets. They know how, how long the pellets last. There's different varieties of hops that have different alpha and beta um, um, acids. And, yep. and, and you yep. have all that stuff and you know when it's going to come out. And then what people don't realize in the beer industry is people have a certain amount of hops. They, they always, oh, yeah, we use these hops. They use concentrates. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. And if it doesn't come exactly where they need it to be in the final product, they will add some oil. So, number one, when you, when you, when you are talking about that, it's, and, and people saying, you know, you're doing Frankenstein, every single beer company out there, I won't say every beer, I'll say a, a vast majority of the beer companies use an oil, a concentrate, not the actual hops. It's, I mean, it's difficult. It's expensive. There is a large demand, especially for craft beer, at price points where, you know, seven or eight dollars a can is not achievable, right? So, like, how do how do you make a consistent and desirable product without controlling your formulation like that? How do you make wine? Blending. Spectroscopy. <laughs> but you also have so many different varieties, too, that you're blending varieties that provide you something that the user likes for their palate. Of the connoisseurs for wine, I'm going to say that most of them are, are have a palate for it for what they want to taste. But it's also as I think about this, the wine in these restaurants, not at McDonald's, but the wine at these restaurants, they say, here is our fish from Southern Australia with a certain amount of time and, uh, and, uh, and, and coatings. And we also have this potato over here and we have these vegetables and the wine for this meal would be X. It's a white wine with a certain flavor that brings out the other flavor of the potatoes and the, and the fish. And then you say, I've got myself a hunk of cow and it's going to be over here and you're going to have, you're going to have this because it will enhance the flavor. This is the wine that we have selected. Yes. For me. Please, please give me that Oregon Pinot. <sighs> please give me the ripple with my McDonald's double. <laughs> and that's, that's no different really than the cannabis in, in, a, in a different format. I mean, in, in a different flow, you're wanting something that is agreeable to your palate, that is agreeable to your purpose. You're going to go see a movie or you're going to enjoy an evening or you're going to relax. I mean, each one of those brings you that. And then as you and I have talked about, you know, the testing may be, not perfect, but if you're looking for something between a relaxation 
and a an enlightenment those are those are two very different you know varieties you know a durbin's yeah. not going to do the same thing as as a kush you know no certainly not and and i mean you you may maybe very on purpose you are picking some land race words that actually reference sort of no known chemical profiles um uh for for sure it's and appellation is going to play a role too right that i it's it's a plant it's and the wine all those wine all those grapes are clones right a cab every Cabernet grape in the world is has the same DNA, um, but like you know, even if you start from a stabilized germline in a cannabis plant, if you grow it in Napa and you grow it up in the Willamette Valley, you 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 might get a different result. <laughs> uh, you're gonna get a different result. And and then you can grow it in uh, Palm Springs, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very different. And I guarantee you, if you bring it out here and try and grow it in New York, you're going to have all sorts of problems that none of those people had. Well, everyone has trouble with Nyakas. so you know, anything, <laughs> anything you bring over to the Nyakas, they're gonna be able to. They, you know, they well, hey, you know, well, hey, you gotta, hey, you gotta go, you know, go with that. You know, we're, what I mean? we're a little blunt. We're a little blunt, a little blunt. It's not gonna, it's not gonna fly as well in California because they're, you know, they're, they're more, you know, they're not, they, they don't have that. You can understand them. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a good New Yorker. No, I, I, I like most of them. We're, we're not bad know. people. We're just busy. <laughs> very busy, and you talk very, very fast. Yeah, well, that, that's like the efficiency play. It is an efficiency play. So I think if you're able to talk very, very fast and you're able to get across your point, then, then most of the time you're able to do that. And Bob's your uncle. So, okay, so we... we we keep batting around this this cat toy of of consistency and and uh reliability your your best principles um like what about varying regulations from state to state right like where we we have to acknowledge the hurdles from the regulatory and and maybe even cultural adoption landscape uh and like so the producers not these big msos right like uh, i i mean cure leave true leave gti they've signed up for the hard problems but like some of these smaller msos maybe a company that's just in Washington, Oregon, California, or something like that. Like, there's radically different regulations, and how do they produce consistent products across these different regulatory landscapes? So, one is the the regulatory landscapes about different, you know, criteria for 
minimal amount of, of what they see for a product or for the chemicals that they're looking for. Or pesticides is a great example more than anything else. I mean, how many pesticides, what's the level? And then the other one is, you know, it's not crossing state lines. You might, you'd have, you'd have to sell it in that state. So you have some states that allow you to sell in that same state and other ones that say that you, you can move it. I'm, so now if I am a company entering into this marketplace or a company that's in this marketplace, those are the challenges they see. The consumer is one level separated from that because they're going to purchase something that they assume that someone has provided them the right COA. So the regulatory on the COA is the company side. When I eat a Snickers bar here in New York and I come visit you in California and I want to eat a Snickers bar, I'm going to expect exactly the same experience right down to mouthfeel, right? And this is the capitalist consumer driven uh, reality we live in. Um, it seems really difficult to for for a brand, a company to achieve. So a Snickers bar is a good example because it has so many different ingredients. And um, the second one, however, is that you would have to assume that the, you know, Durban you bought in New York was going to be the same Durban you buy in California. But as we spoke before, your F1s and perhaps even perhaps someone might mislabel something inadvertently to be able to to uh, entice you to to buy that thinking it's a, a Snickers bar and you open it up. And it's a um, baby Ruth. Just for you New Yorkers, I figured I'd just throw on the baby Ruth. <laughs> it's an Aaron Judge. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it, it's a complex problem. Um, have you seen any discussion about? the this in in the literature out there thoughts about medical versus recreational regulations there was a paper that came out I'm looking around last week and it did a nice job it was out of um Arizona and uh, had some good scientists on it and they reviewed all of the different regulations between the states. And it was, um, and it's probably about 20 pages and had about 75 references on it. And it was, um, um, uh, Dr. Olser was, was on it, O-S-C-R. And so she came out of DigiPath and stuff, an excellent scientist. I think she's now living in Boulder. But um, if you look up that paper, um, it did a nice job um, talking about all the different states and it compared all the different regulations and which ones were, were high, which ones were low and such. So that was a, that's the one I've most recently saw. That's, that, that's interesting. I'm, I'm going to find it and try and add the link to the show notes to at least the abstract. It's, uh, I, I think this is pretty interesting. I mean, it's something that I certainly want to take back to my New York Cannabis Association. 
I can't remember. I don't know why I've forgotten her first name, which is terrible. But um, Dr. Ozer. I, I will find it and link it up. And then there's also one that came out of um, California that spoke about the cost of starting up an analytical lab depending on small, medium, and large in Colorado, which is interesting that it's a California paper talking about Colorado. But um, <laughs> was it Colorado talking about California? I've forgotten which one it was. But that was also a very good paper on the fact of, of how much it costs to buy the equipment as well as well as run the equipment and the humans that go with it with a small, medium, and large based on the state that you're in. That's really interesting. That was probably two years, maybe even three years ago now. It might be a 19, 2019 paper, either that or 2020. We'll have to beat up waters to lower the price of their uh, their, their instrument. Good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll call Anthony about the, the price of the Agilent one, too. <laughs> okay, fine. So... How would you feel if all of these so-called solvent methods, because we know that everything has a solvent of some kind, um, were, were all shelved and we only did rosin? What would the market look like if, if all processing was just rosin? Hash rosin. You'd have, yeah. So you would have, um, the different you would have is, is how do you get enough of that? Because even the rosin will have a certain amount of material that's left behind. So now you've, you've done the rosin, you get 40% of whatever you've squeezed out and that's okay. Or you have hash and now you, 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 you still have a lot of material left over. Remember the days of trim for gosh sakes. But as you look at that, I think that within that, now you have to figure out how you process it. So. I would think the rosin and the hash fit well into the best yeah. theory because now you've, you have botanical integrity. And then if you want to do something with that, now you actually have a larger percentage. So I would have always encouraged my, my customers to, to, you know, use some of the hash or use some of the, you know, the trichomes that have fallen on the bottom and put them into your extractor, no matter what type it is, because rather than doing, you know, something that's 12%, you have now something when you've added in the other trichomes, you now have something at 35% that you're extracting with this. And so now you're using a, a better, you know, measure. So even if I do the extraction, you also now have a, if you are doing the extraction, you have a smaller amount of material that you can have a clever amount of technology to be able to make other products from. So you're saying, okay, I'm processing some, some stupid large volume of hash rosin and I'm left behind with 60% of my mass uh, that certainly still has cannabinoid content, but isn't, has not become rosin. And I should put that in the, CO2 extractor that's sitting gathering dust in the corner and extract it. It's a dust gatherer. So I have done that. I also do extraction of oil with a CO2 extractor. I, I, you please explain. 
the container does not know what is in it. Surely. And, and so now we've gotten ourselves into the thing that we're always doing plants through an extractor. Mm. We're if putting unnecessary for, limits on ourselves. We are putting unnecessary limits on ourselves. Do I really need to have distillation? Why am I distilling something? Well, no, no, I'll go back. Why am I winter winterizing something? Why am I sticking something in a freezer for two days at minus 80 degrees? Because I want to precipitate out the waxes. Good idea. But at the same time, you're also capturing within that wax, you're encapsulating like jello, you're encapsulating some of your active ingredients. Number two is you're doing it because you're doing a solubility difference, the same way that you make rock candy. You saturate your sugar in, in the pan where you've heated it up, and then you put it into a jar and you dip a string down the middle and it clings to it. And now you have rock candy. So if I'm doing that with an with a with that, aren't isn't that really what I'm doing with uh, uh, just CO2? Because you, you mentioned it, isn't that what I'm doing with CO2? Is I'm separating out the solute things that are soluble at a certain temperature and pressure and leaving behind the other ones. Yeah. So I can put oil into a vessel. Sure. And what's going to come out? The cannabinoids. And what's going to be left behind? The ones that are insoluble, the waxes and the heavy molecular formulas. Remembering that the C29 is your biggest, is your biggest one. That's what's coming out. When you do a, a winterization, you're not getting, it's rare that you're getting out the C18s, the C16s, the C14 sure. chains. They're still back there. So if you do a second extraction with cold pentane, stick it in the refrigerator. Because whenever I hear people say, oh, this thing is totally, it's, it's got all the, there's no more wax in here. I says, okay, let's put pentane in here. Stick it in a fridge for a couple more days and see if anything comes out. And usually it's got lots of stuff in there. And they're going, well, what's that? Those are the things that were soluble in cold ethanol that are not soluble in cold pentane. Mm. It's a solubility game. Yeah. And opening up the box to say, I'm using this container. The, the instruments you get in your car, Evan, you get in your car and you drive to the store. Car does not know where you're driving. That is true. It does not care. You're just driving it as a utility. Also, you can make money as an Uber. You can be a taxi driver or you can be an Uber driver or you can be a Lyft driver. It doesn't know that you're in there making money and it's not being jealous. It's not saying, I cannot believe Evan is doing this. He's making money. What's what's in it for me? The car's <laughs> not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a machine. It does I just say. made those up and I have no idea whether they, it, I'm sure there's holes all the way through that analogy, but it was fun to say. Uh, <laughs> perfect. That's what matters. It conveyed, it conveyed a thought. And I think clearly enough. Okay. So, so the, the million dollar question, you, you said you're not purely a, a CO2 guy. We talked about ethanol. We talked about rosin. Uh, we, we did not particularly talk about hydrocarbon, but, uh, and I mean, there, there are other choices too. 
What is your favorite extraction method? I go right to best. It's all formulation centric. And then I, whatever is best for that formulation. I, I have no favorite. I really have no favorite. I have, I have expertise in, in, uh, I would say in all of them, um, just based on solubility. I have, I have not personally run a butane system myself, but it makes fabulous product. It makes for really nice product. Running. It does make for a nice product for what someone's doing for that formulation. I have a bias towards formulation centric. I do have that bias. You've got to know what you're making and then choose from there. If I'm taking a car and I'm going across the country and I'm driving all of my material, I'm not going to take a, I'm not going to take a two seater and make 17 trips back and forth across the United States. So if, you are starting your own lab. What what scale would you prefer to work at and which equipment would you bring in? Okay. So if I was making something for the um, high THC market, if we walk our, ourselves away from, from hemp because it's, it's, that's an enormous, you know, that's an enormous system. That's a scale issue. The number one thing I would have in my laboratory is a multi-solvent um, system. Um, and so at that time, I can use small amounts of one gram or five grams or 15 grams of each material. And I would set it up to run overnight to know what my variance was with all of them. So because I can do that under pressure, I can use the same system that can run, I can run acetone, I can run heptane, I can run hexane, I can run mixtures of solvents as well as a CO2 with a mixture of solvents. Or I can do one that we haven't talked about and that is um, subcritical water, which is a fabulous solvent. And so I would have something that allows me to do that. I, 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 I do know that. So that allows me to bring in someone's sample that's wanting a formulation. So if I'm having a laboratory, I would want it to be one where I'm open to what someone's trying to make. So they would come to me and say, well, hi, how are you? Um, I'm trying to make this formulation. I'm trying to make something that's a tincture that you can put under your tongue. Okay. What kind of things do you want in it? I want this. Okay, so then I would take that sample and agree on a on a starting material, and I would run that starting material. And the next day, I would come in and find out which one had extracted the components I wanted in the most economical formula. That would be my number one. Then I would go over and, and, and have a, a larger scaled one that does the same thing. So when people are, are, are making just a CO2 or they make CO2 with one solvent, I, I don't see that as the viable part. I see it as give me multiple solvents. When you buy a liquid chromatograph, it's not a liquid chromatograph with methanol. It's not a liquid chromatograph with acetyl nitrile. It's not a liquid chromatograph with water. It's not blah, blah, blah. It's, a, it's one that allows you to use all those solvents. I can use the same system for amino acids as I can use for, um, uh, for my Coca-Cola, a, a, a product for orange juice. I can do it for all those different things. And sure. so those things are available. 
And so at this point in time, people became more segmented towards this is the only way, but that's not the capability. So when you ask me what the instrument is, I already know what instrument I would, I would have in there. I already know the brand. I already know the market. I already know that that's what I would do. Cool. I think that I, I think the fact that it exists is fantastic and that, you know, people in the industry that want to do it right can come ask you and, and like there's an actual answer to to the best best practice or best starting point question. Yes. After that, everything falls in line. The, the B is the 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 pillar that's that's the pip that's everything that's the center point yeah and after that everything falls away from that e s and t cascade from but b is the is the critical right well that's that's an ideal extraction isn't it that that you've got all the components that you want and none of the stuff that you don't want and then from that point you can derivatize however you want Correct. They can do whatever. So you have value-added and non-value-added components in every formulation. It, remembering that a non-value, the THC is a non-value component for those that want less than 0.3. That's a non-value-added component. That, that is a value minus component. That is something you need to remediate, right? <laughs> and so remediation is a subjective word because if you're wanting THC, then you're then you're having that, and you're trying to separate it. So remediation, you're only you're only specifying what you want and what you don't want. Well, I so su I suppose if you are in the hemp industry, that point three number is important, but you also do want to collect all that uh, remediated THC, so you can make hemp derived Delta Nine THC gummies. <laughs> That's a, that's a good point. That is a good point. <laughs> fully legal, maybe. Yeah, fully legal. <laughs> okay, so fully legal, fully legal. Um, let's look into the crystal ball. Okay. Well, prediction time. What What do you think needs to happen regarding regulations? Uh, where Where they should be going? um to take us towards best best practice best product uh and and what will it take to get us there there has to be a scientific committee which i believe someone uh i think the president had just said that he he wanted to have someone on a committee that that drove towards a single scientific um recommendation for the US government to make. And from that, having the states participate in what's in what's a cooperative um, agreed um, stipulation as far as minimum amount of something, depending on what, you know, uh, depending on its formulation, for example, and having that in mind. It, we have to get to a federal regulation that allows us to have um a a footprint for that um the next one is it has to be able to be something that a laboratory can afford to be able to provide the testing for the products that are 
viable and at a price point that people aren't um, as tempted for the, um, let's call it the gray market or the cottage industry. So they need to be economical and they need to be meaningful. I think that that's the part that you have to have. You have to have the meaningful and applicable. And from there, remembering that the United States is the United States. Each state is individual. So they have to have some you know, framework where they, they say yay or nay, but also it would be good if they all came together at least for one year to give it a go. And so the testing has to be meaningful and for safety. The testing has to be able to be something that can be done by an industry that's supporting that. You can't have the test saying everyone has to buy a you know high-res mass spectrometer, everyone has to buy a certain um, different uh, high expensive equipment. That, that's what you need. You need that those two things on a federal side. And it's gonna take it's gonna take cooperation cooperation and it's and it has to have scientists. It has to have scientists. How, how much testing do you think we really need? I know I'm I'm gonna get myself in trouble here because uh, there's there, there there's a lot of interests in in the testing end of things, but like how much of it is really important? How much of it is a actual public health and safety thing, and how much is just kind of stigma in, and and tax in in sheep's clothing of the ones that i would see is certainly the pesticides you're you're making sure that there's nothing that's gotten into a sample that would be detrimental i'd agree with that not, not only for humans but for the bees and the birds. Mm -hmm. There's some pesticides that are very bad for that. Number uh, two, right? Is, and and you've got you've got Eagle Twenty microbutanol when you heat it turns into cyanide. If I'm correct, there's a, is a yeah cyanide. <laughs> and then you have the okra toxins. You have the the other toxins that would be in there. You you want to do that in in the molds. And then the other one is the metals. When when you're looking at the Cannabinoids, isn't that more of a commercial integrity issue? That if you if you have something that they've made a a, a a maximum level, that's different. But isn't isn't potency really a a commercial um, integrity issue? That I have thirteen percent of whatever is in there. It's not a it's not a detrimental one that that if you if you have an LD fifty you have you know you, you can have you want to know what the LD fifty is and then and then making sure that you're not having you know one hundred milligrams of THC that could could do you harm the same way that you have caffeine sure in, in sure. Some of the drinks I, I I suppose at that point I mean you you could even go to the fact that. They could not find an LD50 for THC. 
So when you're looking at that, you're you're looking at those are the ones I think are the the dangerous ones. You know, you're looking for the the poison. Yeah, you're looking for the poisons, and after that, it's a, and after that, it's a it's a commercial integrity issue, isn't it? Well, so I mean, California, there's mandated terpene testing, yes. Um, but in Colorado, there is not, and. For me, as a patient, the terpene profile is actually far more important than the cannabinoid profile because if the wrong terpenes are in there, it makes my pain worse, not better. Right. So, like, but maybe that's a medical regulation thing. But drawing a line between adult use and medical, I think, is, you know, another one of these arbitrary posts we're putting up. It's, It's not real. Uh, it's it's a human factor, yes. So, I think that that's the that's the million dollars. So that's my prediction towards where we head towards and where it needs to be is is having some over overplay on on what the regulations are, and then the same as you have for apples and and for some of the other products. But you're making sure that what's in that product is is what you say is in that product and and that's how the FDA kind of started along the way too it's just it's just regulating um what you know um uh, people selling stuff off of the back of their truck saying it's going to solve migraines or something i i mean i i suppose that 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 was the plan right like this the literal snake oil salesman uh, and yet since 2018, we have seen the rise of the snake oil salesman, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. And so I think that that's part of where people have to step in. But they have to step in without a bias. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that is that our national uh, capital is in the East Coast. <laughs> and, and the East Coast is is an emerging market, which is a nice way to say of there's, they're just barely finding out about this plant. The West Coast has a whole different attitude toward it. And yet we're sitting in Washington, DC, sitting around the, uh, the causeway. And, and that's, that's another whole, another whole issue. Where, where's our, where's our presidents coming from? Are they coming from the West Coast? Or are they coming from the East Coast? Yeah, right. I, I guess Miss Harris came from from California, but uh, good old Joe's here in Delaware, which is like one of the holdouts here in this emerging East Coast market. So, so it, you you know what you know, and you know what you grew up with. So I grew up with maple syrup. And that's that's what I grew up with. I grew up with with that as a as a flavor enhancer for my pancakes. So when I go to some place and I have pancakes, I have to bring my own maple syrup because I know they're just going to give me some thick sh- sugary thing that's not maple syrup. Mm-hmm. You know, so each one of those parts becomes a an interesting factor. For sure. So, do you think we are living in something more ideal in five years, 10 years? 
or or remember where we were 10 years ago think about where we were 10 years ago this industry has moved so fast uh and and yet somehow we're like still in the first inning (laughs) i think one of the things that you have well well, first of all baseball can go a long time so it's not time-based i mean that's right up there with cricket and so when i'm looking at how this one goes to get to my three outs and get to the next inning is a broader question. And when you go to the American herbal products or you go to some of the other ones as far as natural products in other countries like Australia, for example, or Colombia, so you have a lot of natural indigenous products in uh, Africa. So when you look at those, it goes under the botanical and dietary nutritional supplements from 2016, mm. I think it was December of 2016. And from that point, you look at those guidelines. It's only a guideline. If you read it, it's only a guideline. But if you read that and you put it this into that context and you change a couple of words, you can see that this has already been written. You mean we don't have to reinvent the wheel? It's like no, you I probably have to reinvent the wheel. You probably because because in cannabis we have to reinvent every wheel. We have, to, we have to reinvent the wheel. And so looking at that and 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 taking it apart and saying okay, within that I think it had three crops had to be grown the same. Well, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. And then you're gonna have. Um, uh, designation of a pure compound that's sold as a pure compound that's 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 not legal that's you you can't do that but you can have it as an ingredient but when you look at the guidelines that's the same thing that you have for black cohosh it's the same thing that you have for any other natural products anestesin uh any of those that that you, that you're taking and so when you have that that mixture and you go to you know conferences like um, Supply Side West, mm. or you go to other ones, and you walk around there, and you have you know protein substitute, you have this, you have that, and so you have a lot of different components. And I think that you look at that guideline, they can use that as 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 a as a base, and then and then make it can uh, canocentric. I don't know. Yeah, that's the word, I guess. Yeah, sure. You can put canna on anything. Yeah, put canna on anything. <laughs> so, like, a, can I do this? And so that's where I think it has to be. So I'll say five years because they got to get to something. The rest of the world is is going to to roll around the United States and then they're going to look at a market that already went by. Yeah, for, for and, sure. A market that they, as the, California created, right? They created it in high THC, yeah, uh, and, and and it's a big and it's a big and it's a big state. It's the third largest economy in the world. <laughs> so it's a very big state, and so when you're looking at that and being able to make sure that you keep your citizens safe, I mean, the number one thing is to keep our citizens safe based on you know the poisons that could be potentially in something. I can still grow strawberries in my backyard and go down to the farmer's market and sell them. Yep. You know, I can still do, I can make maple syrup and, but I can, no, I can't, I can't make maple syrup. I can't do that. Is that regulated? It's, it's very regulated. 
very regulated based on the grade and what you say. So you, you can't do that, but I can take apples and go down to the local market and sell them. I can, you know, as long as I'm, I'm within the boundaries of that state, that County, that city. Yeah. You can have, uh, why wouldn't we have farmer's market for cannabis? I mean, it's, it's produce, isn't it? Right. Like I, I mean, I would love to see the day when I can go into Whole Foods and buy organic living soil grown uh, fresh cannabis flower that uh, can be juiced. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So I've, I've got lots of stories of people that have used the juicing. And it sounds fantastic. It is and has done some, you know, even using them as um, suppositories have helped with uh, colorectal cancer. I've I've heard many positive stories about suppositories um, for all sorts of GI stuff. If you can't keep anything down, this is a way Mm. to medicate without that, that issue. Right. So there's the, the, the future is bright as long as, you know, we, we don't blow ourselves up before we get there. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm almost ready to let you go. Uh, tell, tell me, tell our audience, is there anything else you, you want to add or some parting advice for people? Well, well, What's your what's your soapbox statement here at the end? The number one is is that chemistry as a subject is obtainable and it's not magic. I think if I if I if I've learned one thing through my career is if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> it's very modest of you. No, it's not. And so I go back to and and I and I look at the number of people that that think that they can't understand this. And, and it, it may be that I believe in matriculation. So the harder I make chemistry look, the less competition I have. <laughs> you know, they're going to go off and, and, and take something else. But, but our American public needs to know that, that science is part of our world. And as you look at some of the scientists that have shown us, you know, through the ages that, it's important that, to know that we, we now are living in a society that's dependent on chemistry and we need to know en- enough about it. So uh, Carl Sagan was, was one of the ones that, that I listened to even to his podcast or his, his interviews in the, in the early 90s, just before he died. And, and his encouragement was, is to learn enough chemistry. And so I make it fun. I think chemistry is obtainable. I think it's, it's you, you make coffee, you make tea, you make angel food cakes, and you learn about the fact that this is this is very, very, very obtainable for everyone in our society. Um, it, I love it that. truly is. I think it is. And uh, and we've made it seem like only the most gifted scientists um, can understand it. And first of all, I'm not gifted. And there would be those that know me deeply that would say, are you really a scientist? <laughs> I, would say, 
say, I got a PhD, and they would say, yeah, but that does that's not the same thing, is it? And so it's being curious. I think if I, my parting shot is be curious, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask a question of someone that you're buying a product from, from CBD to THC to, to a flower. Ask the question. There's, there are no stupid questions. There's only questions that you haven't asked. There's an, if they don't have an answer and, and you go to the following criteria from your Six Sigma days, you yourself do the same thing. And that is, if you get to why, ask why. If you get to five whys and they still have answers, then you've gotten the right answer. If you've got only to two whys and then their answer is because, that's not problematic. That is a problem. Problematic. <laughs> then walk away to the next place because you, you, you've you now gotten yourself. You need to get to five whys. It's because we've That's always why. done it this way. Because, because, <laughs> yes. So that's that's my that's my parting shot is that everyone can enjoy science. It's not you're, you're doing it every day. You make coffee, you make tea, you do this every single day. And because you're doing that, you are already, by my definition, a scientist. Beautiful. I I mean, chemistry is happening inside your body actively all the time, right? And everybody takes some kind of medication, be it uh, an aspirin or or a prescription or whatever. I mean, we owe all of this to chemistry, and uh, I mean, the pharmaceutical stuff actually is kind of easier because you're only talking about one molecule. It's uh, you know, you're you're doing far more complex things when you're baking a cake. Uh, far more complex. And, and yet, you know, a home ec has a lot of baking in it, doesn't it? And that's not considered an academically rigorous class, is it? <laughs> it's a food science, and it's critical. So a lot of times, I, I, I mentioned the following as my following parting shot. I put my socks on before my shoes and that's it. <laughs> Wouldn't go well. Otherwise it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. And if people ask me why I have an answer for them. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. McKay. We appreciate all your knowledge and your passion to help educate this at, cannabis community and the wider community as a whole. That'll do it.